Thank you so much, Lauren. Uh, well, we begin our James series this morning. Um, it's uh, one of my favourite books because I um, I just love the real practical insight James gives us. Um, and so I'm looking forward to um, speak, speaking on this over the next few weeks and others will be contributing to this series and we'll, this will lead us all the way up to December, which is amazing to think. Um, we're getting close to Christmas, isn't it? Well, I've recently been doing some research into uh, post-COVID church is, is kind of what it, people are calling it. Um, in, the, in other words, what the church is like around the world um, as, people, as churches start resuming again in person after lots of lockdowns. And um, I've looked at um, different examples from America, UK, Europe, even South America. And one of the clear observations is that extended lockdowns um, have been a huge trial for Christians. Now, that seems like a no-brainer, but I mean specifically a trial for their faith. There is a small percentage of churchgoers, um, sadly, for whom lockdown has caused them to completely disengage with their faith. Um, so, that, so that after lockdown, um, they decide not to come back at all. And we're seeing around the world that for most churches, volunteerism is down. People are reluctant to serve in uh, the ministries that they once served in. In one church, the pastor said about a third of the congregation came back uh, as enthusiastic as ever. Another third came back sort of okay. And the other third were either gone or... Um, just hanging on by a thread. So there's a lot of grief and a lot of struggle within people and their faith. People are reassessing or deconstructing their faith. And in Melbourne, lockdown has been the longest in the whole world, the toughest of anywhere in the world in terms of the restrictions. Although it has to be said that compared with many other places, we experienced far less death. So the lockdowns have had a purpose to save lives. And while many people have sadly died, it's not been to the scale that other countries um, have experienced. So no doubt 2020 and 2021 have been one of the biggest tests of faith that you have ever experienced. And let me encourage you, now that we are coming out of lockdown, that the testing of your faith through this time has been for an excellent purpose. So have hope. This morning, we're going to um, talk about three themes. And these three themes are actually the three themes of James. Uh, James tends to go back to these themes over and over again and look at them from different angles. And the three themes are trials in the Christian life, wisdom, and poverty and riches. We're going to see how these three themes overlap and intertwine. So let's uh, open up at the passage, James chapter 1. James begins, James, a servant of God, of the Lord, Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, <coughs> greetings. James was the brother of Jesus, um, and yet he didn't refer to himself this way. Rather, he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, you know, he's making it clear to us that just because he's got uh, a bro- the brother, his brother is Jesus, um, and he's got a biological connection to Jesus, James is saying, I have no extra authority. Um, don't think of me as some kind of second-rate Messiah or, you know, a prince, and Jesus is the king and I'm the prince. Don't think of it in those terms. Um, I mean, and this is an amazing thing for him to say, considering he was uh, one of the chief elders in the Jerusalem church. He was a servant of Christ. And he's saying, I'm just like you, the readers of this letter. I'm just like all Christians. I am a servant of Christ. His readers were the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations, he says. And these were the Jewish Christian churches outside of Israel on the eastern Mediterranean basin. And James says to these uh, churches who had been experiencing all kinds of challenges that they should understand that trials, while painful at the time, have a positive aspect to them. He says, consider trials a joy because they enable you to grow into maturity. Trials put your faith to the test and this testing produces perseverance. If you persevere under trial, James says in verse 12 of this passage that you are blessed because having stood the test, you will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And here, uh, James is speaking like his brother, Jesus. This is a beatitude. Jesus said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who are insulted. For great is your reward in heaven. And James says, Blessed are those who are tested. For you will receive eternal life. He's saying when you pass the test, you'll be like the Olympian who wins gold and receives the wreath around your head, which is what we're seeing on the picture on the screen here. It was the ancient equivalent to a gold medal. Only the wreath that you receive when you're a Christian who, 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 who perseveres is even better because it's the crown of life. It's eternal life. So any test you experience in your life has a purpose. You are not striving forward in vain. You run towards the goal of eternal life. And this is what those who love God receive as their reward. On the other hand, if you do not love God, well, you're not really a believer. Love for God is a basic marker of true faith. Now, we have to make a bit of a clarification here, and James makes this clarification about what we're talking about when we're talking about trials, and he wants to say something about temptation as well. So let's think about trials. There are kind of three kinds of trials we tend to experience as Christians. Firstly, there's the kind of trial that comes from living faithfully and sacrificially as a Christian. Like perhaps God calls you to give up a high paying job so that you can work to serve a certain set of people in a much lower paying job. And that might mean you can't live the lifestyle you're used to. And that requires lots of changes to your life. And you might have to move house and move country or whatever. And there's a kind of a trial there. Or the trials that come from being the only Christian in your friendship group and feeling a sense of isolation and loneliness in that. That, that. These are all trials that come from living faithfully. There's a second kind of trial. Trials that come from the normal living of life. Like you might have a lot of homework at school because you're doing VCE and it's really stressful. Or 
you're lacking sleep because your newborn is waking up all through the night. Or the child that comes from 262 days in lockdown. Well, there's a third kind of trial. And this is trials that are in fact better described as temptations to sin. It might be that you are tempted to tell lies or to take something that isn't yours or to take revenge on somebody because you feel wronged by them. There are lots of different kinds of temptations and sins. Now, we should be clear that no matter what kind of trial we are talking about, when it comes to temptation to sin, this is not a trial that's sent to you by God. And James has to say this because of his main point. He says, we should see trials as pure joy because they help us to grow stronger in our faith. But don't get the idea that God might send you temptations to sin so that you can resist them and then grow stronger. No, James says, God's not tempting you. Don't ever think that or say that, says James, because it's just not true. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't allow us to be tempted. He clearly does. The story of Job shows this to be the case. Satan can only engage with Job because God allows him to. But it is Satan that's seducing Job to, to evil. God would never do that. God can actually always be relied upon to turn to if we are being tempted. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, No temptation has ever has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. If we think about Jesus' temptation in the desert, it wasn't God who was tempting him, but it was Satan. But Satan got nowhere because there was no part of Jesus that was going to give in to or entertain these temptations. Now, we're not like Jesus. We are tempted by our own desires and lusts, and the devil takes advantage of our weaknesses. So we can't blame God, but see him as the source of, we should see him as the source of all that is good. James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't put obstacles in our way of temptation to sin. He wants you to succeed. God does not change. We can always trust him and his goodness. You might be thinking, like, why does God allow this? It's a natural question to ask. Why does he allow us to be tempted? Well, James tells us in verse 4, saying, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All trials enable us to grow into maturity. And maturity is to be like Christ, who was tempted in every way, but did not sin. Now, all, these talk, all this talk of trials and temptations is a healthy reminder to us as, as Christians um, that 
Christians uh, experience trials. <laughs> like it, it sounds like a, a, a weird thing to say, but surprisingly, many Christians, and I think especially young Christians, don't realize this. Many young Christians think that being a Christian means that your life will always be good. That most of the time you'll be happy, at peace and fulfilled. But the problem is once you face some kind of major trial or testing and life is suddenly really hard, if you think this way, then you become disillusioned with your faith. You feel ripped off. Like the promise of an easy life with Jesus was all a scam. And so what can happen, sadly, is if they believe this, they walk away from their faith. You might have heard about the prosperity gospel. The belief that if you are faithful to God, he will make you rich and successful. And I'm guessing that probably most people in Mary Creek, if not any anyone... There's no one that believes that in our church, I'm pretty sure. I haven't met anyone who does. But have you ever heard about the other more widespread form of prosperity gospel, which is the emotional prosperity gospel? And this is what we're talking about. This is the false doctrine that being a Christian means God blesses you with a happy and peaceful and easy life. This is one of the hardest kinds of false teaching to spot because it's more about wrong emphasis rather than obvious false teaching. Now, it's true that the Holy Spirit gives us joy and gives us peace and love in our hearts. These are the fruits of the Spirit that grow in us. It's true that we rejoice at the knowledge that we are forgiven and that we are saved and that we have hope in eternal life. But this joy that Christians experience has to be understood properly. And James starts off his letter giving us a good reality check. Consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You still experience trials. And they are really hard sometimes. And if you've been following Jesus thinking you never will experience trials, then this is the emotional prosperity gospel. It is false and it will let you down. The emotional prosperity gospel is when you tell yourself, I've given my whole life to Jesus. I'm serving him with my whole heart, my mind and my strength. Now, I know I'm not going to be rich or famous necessarily or popular necessarily. But in all those ways that count, at an emotional level, I believe God is going to make my life really awesome. God's going to bless me with emotional prosperity for following him. But friends, let me tell you something about the true gospel. Jesus doesn't promise you emotional fulfillment. Jesus doesn't promise you amazing friendships. Jesus doesn't promise you an easy marriage. Jesus doesn't promise you a fulfilling and rewarding job. Jesus doesn't promise you financial security. Jesus doesn't promise to shield you from suffering. In fact, Jesus tells us, and his brother, the chief elder of the Jerusalem church, James, tells us, and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, tells us, and the apostle Peter, the leader of the early church, tells us, 
And the beloved disciple John tells us that we are to expect trials of every kind. The emotional prosperity gospel tricks so many young Christians and what it causes them to ultimately do when they do face those trials is to walk away. They face their first major trial and want to give up. The uh, reformer John Calvin puts it this way. He says, Faith does not promise us length of days, riches and honours, but is contented with the assurance that however poor we may be in regard to present comforts, God will never fail us. The chief security lies in the expectation of future life, which is placed beyond doubt by the word of God. Whatever be the miseries and calamities which await the children of God in this world, they cannot make his favour cease to be complete happiness. Now, I think the emotional prosperity gospel is a little bit of a problem, especially for um, rich Christians. And James warns us a little bit about this. He says in verse 9, if you're in humble circumstances, if you are economically poor, if you are in a poor social position because you've converted to Christianity, then take pride in your high position because you don't depend on your wealth to get you through your trials. Your destiny is eternal life. But then he says in verse 10, but if you are rich, you need to know it's not going to help you. You too will eventually die and you can't take your fancy house and your fancy car and your fancy clothes with you. And this is a bit of a shock for many wealthy Christians. And this might be you. You may get a rude shock because rich Christians can easily fall into the trap of spending their lives being shielded from any trials because of their wealth, the privilege of their wealth. But eventually it all catches up. You can have every earthly comfort, a nice house, a beautiful family, overseas holidays, a nice car, fancy technology in your home. But if you are uncertain whether you have the love of God or the hatred of God, your life will be miserable. But if God gives you his father love, even the trials you experience in your life will be blessed because they will help you arrive at your salvation and eternal life. So what do we need to persevere through these trials? James says we need wisdom. He says we should pray and ask for wisdom and God will give it to us. Now, when we say wisdom, what do we mean? We mean the ability to act on what you know to be true and right. You need strength to do the, no, the thing that you know is right and then strength to actually act. Wisdom is not just being smart or knowledgeable. It's actually the ability to do the thing that you know is true. And James says we should ask God for wisdom and he will give it to us. God doesn't promise to take the trial away. He doesn't promise to show you the complete map of your life so that you know how it will all pan out. He doesn't even promise to give you a clear answer for every decision you're trying to make. 
but he does promise wisdom for you to live out your faith and persevere when you are being tested. James says, ask in faith for wisdom. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, he says. This is not about the power of positive thinking. He's not saying, just believe you, you'll have it and then it'll be yours. No, it's about putting our complete trust in Jesus. Putting our trust in his death and resurrection. Putting our trust in his love for us. Don't be like a ship being blown around by the wind on the sea. Don't be the person that wavers constantly between belief and unbelief. Don't ask with that kind of lack of faith. Don't be double-minded in your faith, says James. Don't be predictably unpredictable in your faith. Don't be having a bet both ways between the worldly life and the godly life. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Ask for wisdom to live out your faith and you'll make it to the finish line. Because with your eyes fixed on Jesus, God's wisdom will enable you to persevere another day in your lockdown in COVID times. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, God's wisdom will give you strength to hang on when your physical body is failing you. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, God's wisdom will speak truth over the lies that the world tells you about your self-worth. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, God's wisdom will prevent you from being deceived and being able to appreciate every good and perfect gift from above. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, God's wisdom will enable you to do the very opposite of what the world expects, which is to consider trials a joy. And you will be able to sing, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for all of us in the various trials we're experiencing that we will consider them joy. Please give us the wisdom that we need to know how to act and to move on those, move on that knowledge, to, to live out our faith and to keep going another day in hope for our eternal life with you. Amen.